So his presence is an open door. It's an open door for healing. It's an open door for hope. It's an open door for grace. It's an open door for salvation. It's an open door for the breakthrough that you came in here longing for today. I believe there's faith in the room this morning. Is there faith in this room that God can do it? As we start this morning, I'd like us to do something a little different. We're gonna read a passage of scripture together. We're gonna read Romans 8, 28. Let's all read this together with the faith to really declare this like we believe it this morning. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those whom love God and are called according to his purposes for them. Let's say it one more time like we really believe it this time, church. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Father, we believe that this morning. We come in faith, help us in our unbelief. Give us the faith to believe and to know that you are working every circumstance that we face, whether it is good, whether it is bad, whether it is difficult, whether it is incredible. Father, we know that you are working it for our good. We give you thanks today. Increase our faith. Speak to us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and everybody said together, amen. Hey, can we praise God one time for the worship team this morning? Amen. Well, thanks to Pastor Chris for giving me this opportunity. Uh, I do know that uh, many of you have lived and walked this journey of our family with us, and uh, that's the story I'm going to be telling today. It's just a little bit about my family. Uh, this is my family right here in this picture. There we go. That's us just a couple weeks ago. That's my beautiful wife, Abby, who's back there in the back, and our three awesome kids. And the message I want to share with you today is one that I think a lot of us need right now. Uh, this has been a season of grief. It's been a season of tragedy. And working in the church, we're constantly made aware of um, folks in our community who have experienced new diagnosis. And a lot of folks are dealing with infertility right now and depression and anxiety and, and all kinds of really hard things that can rock us to our core. But the Lord spoke something very clear to me one morning after I got off the phone with a friend who was struggling and I was praying and the Lord said, Jared, I am good right now. And so that's the title of my message. And the only point that you have today is God is good right now. See, we, we read Romans 8, 28, and we say God is making all things. And we think, oh, that's, he's going to take this difficult season. And sometime later on, I'm going to see his goodness. Sometime later on, I'm going to see that he's working all things together for good. And then sometimes in the church world, we do this thing where the person on the platform will say, God is good, and you respond. This is a contemporary crowd. We don't do that a lot. Let's do it again. God is good. And then I say all the time, you say, there we go. But sometimes that can be an overgeneralization because sometimes we disconnect that God is good all the time from God is actually good right now in the midst of a very difficult, very hard season. And so I want to share some stories with you about how God is not just making all things good, but how he's actually good right now. In the midst of the first Chronicles, first Chronicles 16, verse 34, it says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. 
His faithful love endures forever. It endures all the time. He is good. And so I'm going to take you through the story of my family, and we're going to start all the way back at August 15th, 2011. My wife and I had the awesome opportunity to welcome our first child, Zoe Hope, into the world. A funny story, Zoe was actually supposed to be born on August 16th. Uh, she was supposed to have a scheduled C-section because she was breached. Her feet were down, and so we knew we were going to have a C-section. And so they told us to go to the doctor the day before, go to the hospital for pre-op. And uh, we thought we were just going to go have some vitals taken, and then we were going to head off for one final night's rest. Um, being the laid-back people that we were, we showed up to the hospital without a single bag packed, no car seat in the car. And they put the blood pressure cuff on my wife, and they took her blood pressure, and the nurse kind of started getting panicky. And a few moments later, the doctor walked in pretty hastily, and uh, she told us, she said, y'all thought y'all were having a baby tomorrow, but y'all are going to have a baby in about 30 minutes. See, what was going on was Abby's blood pressure was so high, they were concerned about her having a stroke. Now, I wish I could tell you that was the scariest, like the most climactic part of our story, but that's actually just become a footnote in everything else that we have dealt with. And so at about 5 p.m. that afternoon, we welcomed Zoe Hope into the world, and uh, at birth, Zoe did pretty good. She was, uh, seemed to be a pretty normal baby. The only thing that was a little off was Abby was 37 weeks pregnant when we had her, and Zoe weighed just four pounds, three ounces. She was a tiny baby. I mean, you could hold her like that in the palm of your hands. And, but she did relatively well right there at birth, and so we were allowed to spend some time bonding with her, and then they took Zoe off into the nursery, and Abby stayed in recovery, and after being in recovery for a little while, it was time for Abby to move to her room for the night, and so they were wheeling her down the hall, and I was walking alongside of her, and we got to that place, you know, where you pass the window where everybody's oohing and on over the babies, and my mom and grandmother were standing there looking at Zoe, and uh, I'll never forget that look on my mom's face of going from pure joy and excitement to pure terror just like that. And all of a sudden, mom starts mumbling, she's not breathing, she's not breathing. And at that time, all the alarms in the, in the nursery start going off. And the nurses come running, and they slam the windows shut, and they begin to get to work on Zoe. And uh, I try not to panic because I had to make sure Abby was calm. And so we got her to her room. And a little while later, the doctors come into our room, and they said, well, Zoe had an apnea spell, which is not too abnormal. He said, but because of that, we did a CT scan on her brain just to make sure there was nothing that we needed to be too concerned about. And what we found is that Zoe has a cyst on the top of her brain. And he said, again, that's not too abnormal for children who have had apnea spells. And he said, so we're going to keep her in the NICU for about seven days, and then we'll do a scan back a little bit later. This is her in the NICU with our cool little shades on. And um, so she did pretty well. She had a few blood sugar issues, but nothing too crazy out of the ordinary. And uh, so seven days roll around, and they do a second CT scan. And the doctor comes into our room, and he says, well, I've got good news. The CT, I mean, the, the cyst is gone. He said, but what we have found is that your daughter's missing a part of her brain called the corpus callosum. Now, the corpus callosum are the fibers that connect the left and right hemispheres of your brain. It's the pathway of information between the two sides of your brain. And he said, CT scans don't always show us the full picture, and so we need to do an MRI to get a deeper look to see if there's anything else going on that we need to be concerned about. And so we asked, well, what can we be doing in this time frame? And he said, nothing. Y'all need to just go home and try to rest a little bit. And so we went home. Rest we did not do. We fell on the floor, and we began to cry and pray and cry and pray and cry and pray. And it was in that moment for the first time that I experienced how God had been doing something. 
he had been making something work together for my good so that I would experience in one of my scariest moments I'd ever experienced. See, when we were pregnant with Zoe, we felt the Lord give us the name Zoe Hope. Zoe means life, and hope, we all know what hope means. Well, in that moment, we got a text message, and it was from a mom, but mom was just, she was just a messenger. It was God that day, and he just simply said, don't lose hope. See, God had given us a prophetic message through the name of our child a few months ago that we would need right there in the midst of one of our hardest moments. And so I'll never forget the steel and the calmness that just came over the room, and we both sat up and just looked at each other and said, um, it's going to be okay. We didn't know what the diagnosis was going to be. We didn't know what they were or were not going to find. But somehow in the midst of it, we knew that it was all going to be okay. And so we got up and we went back to the hospital and we had our conversation with the doctor. And he said, well, good news is, is that I, we didn't see anything else that we were looking for. Um, and so he began to talk to us about what the future, what Zoe's future might look like with this part of her brain missing. And he began to explain some really scary things. He said, you know, I, I can't really tell you what her life is going to look like. There are children who are born missing this part of the brain that have a hard time doing the most basic things of life by themselves. But there are some kids who are born with this that end up going on to live a fairly normal life. And he told us these words I'll never forget. And he said, just go home and love your baby the best that you can. So that's what we did. We took her home, and she was just a little under five pounds when we got her home. And so we woke up all three hours through the night to feed her and to make sure she was getting the nutrients. And, man, we were just clinging on, doing anything we could to help this little girl grow. And uh, about two weeks after being home, I went to pick her up in the middle of the night for her feeding. And uh, Zoe was cold. She was 94 degrees, as a matter of fact, was her body temperature. And so we rushed her to the hospital, and they got her on heating blankets and warmed her back up. And... They got her stable, and um, she did pretty good. They couldn't ever really figure out what was going on, but it was that moment in time that set us on a journey of doctor's appointments, and our pediatrician was able to start putting puzzle pieces together with the low birth weight, the apnea spell, the blood sugars, the low body temperature, and she realized that what the MRI did not detect was that our daughter was missing at least part of, if not all, of her pituitary gland. So your pituitary gland, if you are or are not aware of, it kind of oversees the production of most of our normal hormones within our bodies. The biggest one for Zoe at that time was cortisol. Your cortisol is what's called your fight or flight hormone. So if you get sick, I get sick, our bodies produce more of this hormone and it helps us to maintain blood pressure, body temperature, blood sugar, those kinds of things. Well, not only does Zoe's not create more when she's sick, it doesn't create even a baseline to keep her alive. And so from that moment forward, we begin to give Zoe synthetic hormones. She gets a cortisol treatment three times a day that keeps her alive. She gets a growth hormone shot injection every night. She gets thyroid every night. All of these things that she gets. And man, that first six months was the scariest time in our life. We were doing everything we could just to keep this child alive. But then something began to happen. This child who we were told all these terrifying things about suddenly started hitting milestones. She started sitting up, and then she started crawling, and then she started walking, and she was eating and feeding herself. And, and then not only that, she started getting very agile. And then she was athletic, and she was in gymnastics really early, and she starts talking, and she's developing this incredible vocabulary. 
And every morning we had the opportunity to wake up and see a miracle of God. We got to see God's mighty power at work in Zoe. And this is a picture of her when she's 18 months old. Yes, can we give God some praise for that, what he's done in her? And so then we decided we wanted to have another child. We always had this dream of having four kids, three biological children, and then one adopted. And so we were so excited we got pregnant again with another little girl. And the doctors had told us the likelihood of us having those kinds of significant troubles again was less than 25%. And we felt like lightning rarely strikes the same place twice. And so we got pregnant and at 16 weeks, they sent us to Birmingham for an at-risk ultrasound just because of all the challenges that we had faced. And so we thought we were going up there really just to kind of check a box, but we didn't expect there to be anything going on. Well, boy, wouldn't you know it, we found out lightning does strike the same place twice. So we're in this, uh, y'all could have laughed a little. I know this is heavy, but y'all could have laughed a little more. So we're in this ultrasound, and um, the doctor walks in, and she's got a very concerned look on her face. And she begins to explain to us that our daughter in utero, in utero had what's called hydrocephalus. She had excess fluid built up inside of her brain, and she went on to tell us that she was very concerned about the amount of pressure in her brain. And so that set us off on a journey of meeting with doctor after doctor after doctor, and again, hearing all kinds of terrifying things. One doctor told us that Nora's brain was already pancake flat. Another told us that she was going to be born with significant brain damage. Another one told us that she probably would not even make it to birth and went so far as to say that we should think about having an abortion. Well, I just looked at him with as much confidence as I've ever looked at anybody, and I just said, you don't know my God. Yeah. See, and the reason why I had that confidence was because in those first six months with Zoe, where we struggled so hard, I was asking a question. That a lot of times in the church world, we tell people they shouldn't ask for whatever reason, I don't know, but I was asking God the question, why? Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to my daughter? Why is this happening to my family? And then I got into the Gospel of John, John chapter 9, as a matter of fact, verses 1 through 3. And it's this really interesting story where Jesus and his disciples are walking along, and they come across this man who was born blind. And Jesus' Jesus's disciples ask him this question. They say, Rabbi, why? Why was this man born blind? Was it because of his sins or the sins of his mother or father? And Jesus said, it's not because of any of that. It's so that my power would be seen in him. And so I took that, not just as scripture, but from that moment, I began to take that as a promise that every difficult circumstance I would face or my children would face or my wife and I would face together, every single opportunity that was difficult was just an opportunity for God to show his power. And so with the most confidence I've ever said, I said, you don't know my God. I didn't know what he was going to do, but I knew he was going to do something. And so we prayed for that. We went and met with another doctor, a pediatric neurosurgeon who met with us and came into one of the ultrasounds. And he also explained that he was very concerned about Nora's brain and about the pressure and that we should uh, have conversations about having her early so that we could uh, do a procedure on her right after birth that would begin to help treat uh, this hydrocephalus. And so fast forward to September 5th, 2013. We drove to Birmingham filled with anxieties, filled with fear, filled with all kinds of things. Because I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of a, a child with hydrocephalus, but a lot of times their heads are just are very big. They're very elongated, and 
the children are very fussy generally. They can't eat, and their eyes are very heavy, almost shut, and we were just very anxious. We didn't know what this child was going to look like, be like at birth. We were just going to love her regardless, but we're just, we were nervous. And so the waiting room was very quiet that day, and then Noah was born, and Noah didn't meet any of those expectations. Nora came out with the most perfect, round, beautiful face and head. She had the biggest, brightest eyes. She was so alert. Not only that, she didn't act like a child with hydrocephalus. She was able to nurse and latch right away. She was not fussy. She was content. She was very happy. So much so that the doctors were a little bit confused, like, what's going on? And not only did she not have to have surgery that day, the whole week while she was in the NICU, they just continued to watch her, but she never had to have surgery. In fact, they sent us home without surgery, and the only explanation they could give us was that sometimes these things just resolve themselves. Now, what do you think? Yeah, that's what I thought. That's, yeah. I was like, okay, the Lord has healed my daughter so much so I came and I stood on platform and I led worship and I praised God because he would miraculously healed my daughter. And I rode that high all the way until she was three weeks old when we went to Children's Hospital for a checkup with that neurosurgeon. And he pulls out this little tape measure. It's one that still gives me PTSD to this day. He wraps it around around Nora's head and his whole demeanor changes. He takes her back and does a scan, and then he comes and begins asking us, has this child not been sick? And we're like, no, she's been perfectly fine, perfectly healthy. Mesa tells us that the hydrocephalus, the pressure in her head had begun to increase dramatically, and that Nora, who we thought had been healed, actually was not, and she needed to have surgery pretty much immediately. So that was on a Wednesday. We came back on that Friday morning and handed over our 25-day-old daughter for brain surgery this is her just shortly after. Now, that's a hard day when you hand your child over and the first haircut they get is to prepare their scalp for surgery. I had a lot of questions. I had a lot of anger in those moments. But somehow we thought God was still good. And so every week for a little while and then every month for about nine months, we'd go back to the doctor and he would look at her and measure her head. And what I'm telling you, I have PTSD from a tape measure. Don't ever pull one out around me. Um, but at about nine months, his, his tone, the doctor's tone began to change, and he was excited about the progress that Nora was making. And not only did her, her surgery begin to relieve, uh, alleviate some of the pressure on her brain, this child who we were told all kinds of scary things about was, again, just like my first child, she was starting to meet milestones. She was eating. She was, you know, she was smiling. She was interacting with us. She never could crawl because her head was too heavy. She'd just fall over, but she would sit on her hiney and scoot herself. And, and then she started doing all the things that a perfectly normal nine-month-old baby, and then she continued to progress, to progress until she turned 18 months when we went back to the same doctor, and he told us the likelihood of Nora ever needing another surgery was less than 5%. He all but said Nora was healed And so we saw the mighty power of God at work again in another one of my children. Can we give God some praise for that? And so then, remember that whole four kids, three biological, one adopted? Well, we were two for two on brain abnormalities, so we forewent the third biological child and adopted our little boy. And we adopted a little boy from Wichita, Kansas. His name is John William. Uh, we call him Jay Wills for a little more street credit. Um, we brought him home, and we knew that Jay had uh, a kidney condition. 
we were told that it was very minor and that he was doing very well at birth and for all purposes, uh, the doctors expected him to do well from that point forward. Now, whether that was true or not, it didn't matter. The Lord had spoken very clearly to us that he was to be our son and we were to be his parents. And so we drove out to Wichita, we adopted him, we came home with him. He's the perfect addition to our family. Well, about two weeks after being home, uh, we were at lunch on a Friday with my mom, like we used to do relatively often, and mom was holding him, and she realized that something was wrong with his breathing, and so we got him in with a pediatrician that afternoon, and uh, she realized that Jay had a, a very bad kidney infection, and so they sent us to Baptist East, and when we got to Baptist East, by the time we got him there, he was going septic. And so they put him in an ambulance, and they rushed him to Children's Hospital, and what we found out was that Jay's very minor kidney condition wasn't so minor at all. It was actually very significant. Uh, Jay ended up having the kidney equivalent to what Nora had on her brain. So she had hydrocephalus. He had hydronephrosis. His kidneys in, uro, in utero did not develop, and so they were dilated. They had excess fluid built up in them. And what we found out over the course of those next few days and weeks was that Jay was very sick. His kidneys were in very bad shape, and he was so sick that he ended up spending three months of his first year at Children's Hospital. He underwent eight kidney operations. At one point, Jay had kidney, he had tubes coming straight out of his kidneys through his back and draining into his diaper because his kidneys just could not flush infection or fluid. And I remember the scariest time for me and for my wife in that moment was, uh, it was a Wednesday night. And I was up here leading a band rehearsal and uh, she was at Children's Hospital with Jay and my mom had the girls and Suddenly, just a few moments into rehearsal, I got a, a phone call from Abby, and I knew if she was calling me during rehearsal, this must be bad, and so I answered, and she explained to me that Jay's breathing was not right and that he had gotten very sick. His temperature was way up, and they could not control his temperature, and so that there was extra, extra doctors and nurses in the room who were trying to care for him in that moment, and that they had decided to move him up a level in care from where he was up to special care, which is just one level below ICU. And she said, Jared, I'm really scared. I need you to come up here. And so I left everything and drove straight up there. And uh, through the night, he did okay. His fevers were still pretty high. That's him in that time period. They just cold rags, anything they could on him to try to get him to cool off. And the next day, his doctor walked into the room and he said, his infection's not getting any better. And he explained to us that they don't normally like to do a, a procedure, an operation while there is that level of infection going on because there's more risk with that. Uh, but because his infection was not getting any better, he needed to do something. And his plan was to go in into an inject dye into, Jer into Jay's urinary tract. And then while he was doing that, they would watch the fluid to see where the blockage was, while at the same time taking stents and, and threading them through his ureters. The ureters are the plumbing between your kidneys and your bladder, and they're supposed to go straight down from your kidneys. Well, Jay's like bird's nests, and that's why he was having so many issues and so that afternoon, they took him into the OR, and me and my wife um, were sitting in the waiting room pretty much by ourselves. And after about an hour and a half, the nurse calls, and she says, can y'all come to the consultation room? Now, we had never done that before. Normally, the doctor just comes out to the waiting room and tells us everything that's going on, and so that just sent alarms into our minds. We thought, worst-case scenario. And so we take every bit of courage we have, and we walk into that room, and a few moments later, the doctor walks in, and we had seen this doctor a lot, but we had not hardly ever seen him smile. And he walks in, and he's just radiating. He's just smiling, and he can't get the smile off his face. And he tells us, he says, never in a thousand years would I have expected that surgery to go the way it did. 
He went on to explain that they had injected the dye and they were watching it and nothing was moving. Everything was just blocked. It wasn't going anywhere. And he was trying to get the stents through the ureters and nothing was going. Everything was just clogged up and blocked. And he said and then after about 15 very frustrating minutes, he said one of his techs looked up and said, Doctor, the, the dye is starting to move. The fluid's moving. So, so he paused for a minute and looked at the screen and sure enough, the fluid was starting to move like it should have the whole time. And he said, so after a few moments, he went back to work threading the, the stents to the ureters, and suddenly all at once, everything just opened up, and the stents went right through the ureters, just like they were supposed to. And from that moment forward, everything began to drain, and Jay started getting better. And so he's in the, in the room with us, and he says, I just never would have expected that to happen. And I said, I know why it happened. With as much confidence as I've ever said, I know why it happened. He said, Okay. And I said, this afternoon when you told us he was going to need surgery, we put a plea out on social media for our church and for all of our friends to begin praying. And for the past several hours, you've had thousands of people praying for your hands and praying for our son in this moment. That's why it happened. Tears running down my face. Yes, yes. And as he fought back the emotions, he said, well, that's why it happened. <laughs> and from that moment forward, Jay has done really well. He's had maybe one or two pretty insignificant kidney infections. Now, the doctor still tells us every time we see him, he says his kidneys look terrible, but they're still functioning at 100%. And so we praise God that we're still seeing the power at work in God and in Jay's life. Yes. And so this next picture is, again, this is my family. And I can tell you, that God is good right now. Now, some of you in the room are probably thinking that's very easy for you to say, Jared, because you've gotten your desired outcome. But that hadn't always been the case. See, remember I told you I thought Nora had been healed supernaturally, and she wasn't. I was angry. I was embarrassed because I stood on the platform and said she'd been healed supernaturally. I was even like, God, how could you... How could you let your name, like, not come to fruition in this? Well, what I didn't know is what God had been doing. See, in the year 2003, which was the year my wife and I met 10 years before we had Nora, there was a pediatric neurosurgeon at the Children's Hospital in Kentucky. And this doctor felt called to give away everything that he had to move away to Uganda to be a pediatric neurosurgeon at the Children's Hospital in Uganda. And while he was there, he came across and he had the opportunity to treat a lot of children who had hydrocephalus either from birth or it developed because of bacterial infections. And what he found to be the case is that in Uganda, and because of shunts and how they treat shunts can get infected, they can malfunction and, and you have to have another operation to replace them, and oftentimes what was happening is these children were getting so sick and were dying before they could get back to the proper medical care. Sorry about that. And then this doctor realized that there had to be another way, possibly even a better way, to treat hydrocephalus. And so he came up with this procedure called an endoscopic third ventriculostomy with choroid plexus coagulation. Now that was just my opportunity to prove to y'all I know big words. Um, <laughs> but this is a two-part procedure. And the first part, they go in through the soft spot of an infant, and they create a new drain between the third and the fourth ventricle without putting a foreign object like a shunt into the brain. They just create a new drain. 
And then the second part, the, cor the choroid plexus coagulation part, just means they burn some of the choroid plexus out of the, out of the ventricles. That's the membrane that creates the spinal fluid. And those two things working together are 65 to 75% effective in curing hydrocephalus, whereas a shunt just treats hydrocephalus. Well, wouldn't you know it that the doctor that we had a chance to meet with while my wife was pregnant had just gotten back from Uganda where he learned that procedure. And at 25 days old, he did that procedure on my daughter, and she's one of the first children in America who've had that procedure and has been a success story. So God was doing something. Hold on now. God was doing something 10 years before we even had this child. He had called this doctor who he had gifted this incredible gifting to be able to do these procedures. He called him to Uganda. He broke this man's heart for what broke the heart of God. That guy develops this procedure that then 10 years later would bring complete healing to my daughter. See, I was too simple-minded. I thought God's just going to miraculously heal her, and he could have. But instead, God shows me this big thing where he called this guy to answer a call way back a long time ago, and that supernaturally brought healing to my doctor. See, God is good, and he's good right now, and he's so much good, he's so much better and bigger than we can possibly imagine. Can anybody say amen to that this morning? And then my Jay, my little guy. So Jay was born in Wichita, Kansas, with what we thought was minor kidney condition, very significant kidney condition. Just because of the family that he was adopted into, not because there's anything special about us, but simply because of where we live, Jay gets to see one of the top-ranked pediatric urologists in all of the world. There are people that fly their kids from all over to come see this doctor that Jay gets to see whenever he needs to simply because of his location. God had prepared our hearts to adopt he called us to adopt at the right time where this child was going to be born who was going to need to see a specific doctor here in Alabama, and he prepared a family from Alabama to adopt him. See, God is good right now, right now. And so I don't know what you came in here with. Probably something. All of us come in with something. This has been a season of difficulty for a lot of people. I see some of you in the room right now, and I know things going on in your lives. And some of it's very hard. God is good right now. So we're going to do something a little different this morning. Ken and Chris are over here. If you're struggling to have faith to believe that God is good, the band's going to come up. Band, y'all come on up. And they're going to lead us in a song, Waymaker. And I just believe that the Holy Spirit wants to minister. He wants to increase faith this morning. And so if you're struggling with that today, I just want to offer for you to come forward. Chris and Ken are going to be ready. I'm going to be ready to come down front and pray with you. Don't leave this place without a shadow of a doubt questioning, is God good? Is God doing something? God is doing something right now. I don't know what it is, but he's doing something. He's doing something. Amen? Let's pray and then come forward if that's you. Lord. We want to give you thanks. Give you thanks for how you're working in this place, how you are moving in this space. Lord, I believe there are people today right now who are struggling with difficult circumstances, and some of them are even having a hard time maybe even believing that you are a good God.
Lord, I pray that you would give them the faith to know without a shadow of a doubt that their circumstances do not define who you are, that you are good, and that you're doing something. I love the song we sang a minute ago, Your Presence is an Open Door, and I know that you are here with us. And so, Lord, come and move in this place. Increase our faith, Lord. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.